Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. The 2021 Atlantic hurricane season begins soon, June 1st. Last season broke records with 30 named storms. National Hurricane Center Director Ken Graham says this year could be just as active. We can't control how busy the season is. If it's one of those busy seasons, you're just going to have to be ready um, every single time, but have a plan. I, I think Preventing that disaster fatigue is directly correlated to having that action plan, being able to work that plan, know where to go when danger strikes. Today we're talking about preparing for hurricane season, and we're also going to look at why there were so many storms last year. First up, I spoke with Ray Hawthorne. He's a meteorologist at the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network. So Ray, starting off, just give us kind of the the big picture in terms of what you as weather forecasters are expecting, predicting with this hurricane season? Yeah, so Bradley, it looks like we're looking at another above average season coming up and it doesn't look like it's going to be quite as active as 2020 was. Now that was an exceptionally hyperactive season, uh, having uh, 30 named storms. And so we're not expecting quite that much activity here in uh, 2021, but it still looks like it's going to be uh, more than the average, but not quite as busy as what we saw in 2020. So what's going on atmospherically weather-wise that may make this season more active, less active versus last year? Yeah, so the uh, the big driver or one of the largest drivers are the water temperatures in the eastern part of the Pacific Ocean. So last year we had uh, what's referred to as a La Nina. So the La Nina is a cooling of the waters in the Pacific, but on the Atlantic side, the side that we're interested in, it tends to lower the amount of wind shear and the water temperatures tend to be warmer. La Nina is just about on its way out. In fact, the odds are very much in favor of uh, going to what's called uh, a La Nada, meaning we're not going to see an El Nino or a La Nina. So it's right in the middle of those. So that factor is largely gone at this point. So really, it then comes down to a matter of water temperatures in the Atlantic Ocean. And what we've seen so far, Bradley, is uh, the water temperatures in the tropical part of the Atlantic off the African coast, we call that the main development region, is pretty close to normal, but the water temperatures in what's called the subtropics or north of about 25 north, that's that area that's north of the Caribbean, east of Florida, uh, into the Gulf of Mexico, water temperatures there are still running above normal. And for that reason, uh, we have the expectation because of those warmer temperatures and what still should be a pretty decent shear environment for for tropical storms and hurricanes. That's why we're expecting things to be a little bit above normal, but not quite as um, hyperactive as what we saw last year. So thinking back to last season, it was active, the most active season on record. But here in Florida, we didn't really see much of that activity, right? 
Yeah. So uh, there were really only two storms that affected the, the coast of Florida directly. Isaias was a tropical storm, um, and that was the first storm to impact uh, the coastline. But it was very weak when it moved up the east, uh, east coast of Florida. In fact, at that point, a lot of the thunderstorm activity was out over the water and never really got over land. That was more of a concern for the Carolinas. So that, that missed uh, the state of Florida. And then uh, you might recall Bradley Ada in November <laughs> coming on board, uh, moving northward through the uh, Caribbean across Cuba, affecting uh, South Florida with a lot of rain. They had a tremendous amount of rain last year. Uh, overall, and Ada made that worse. And then eventually it uh, moved over the Gulf and then made landfall along the nature coast in the middle of November, but it did so as a tropical storm. So the state of Florida really, really lucked out last year. So the number of storms overall does not necessarily mean that a particular part of the coastline, in this case, Florida, will actually get hit. Last year, the the, the main problem was, was over Louisiana, and they saw, I believe it was uh, four landfalls uh, there in Louisiana. So a very different situation uh, for those folks, for our neighbors to the west. But, but here uh, in the state of Florida, we really, really lucked out. And uh, that's a reminder, too, that tropical storms, hurricanes, yes, they're, they're certainly a threat for the coast, but they do move inland and they cause major problems. Uh, I grew up in North Carolina. I remember Hurricane Hugo came through my little community near the mountains of North Carolina when I was nine years old. These storms move into the Midwest, they move into Canada, and they can cause just as much damage there as they could in a coastal community. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up, Bradley, for sure. Uh, many people might remember uh, Faye, and I believe that was in 2007, if my memory serves me, that brought a tremendous amount of rainfall to the east coast of Florida along the Atlantic coast. So it really depends on how fast they move. Ada moved along pretty quickly. So it was in and it was out. Isaias moved fast. So it was in and it was out. It didn't drop a tremendous amount of rain. But yes, you're absolutely right. Even a tropical storm or a tropical depression, if it just sits somewhere over the state or over anywhere, it can drop rain. And there are far more deaths from, uh, from inland flooding than, say, hurricane wind, which is considerably less. We're here on the Gulf Coast. These storms mainly form in the Atlantic. But what storms that move into the Gulf and affect our side of the state, what, what, what does the Gulf do to these to these systems that maybe doesn't happen in, in the Atlantic side of uh, Florida? Yeah, so in, in the Gulf, we have an extension of the, um, of the Gulf Stream. So the Gulf Stream is on the Atlantic side, but it curls around through the Florida Straits. And then in the Eastern Gulf, there is a pocket of water that's referred to often as the loop current. Because it loops around the state of Florida and into the Gulf of Mexico. And in that area, the water temperatures are quite warm. They're frequently pretty close to 90 degrees or just a little bit less than that, about 31 to 32 Celsius. And if a storm ends up in that portion of the Gulf of Mexico, the, uh, the ocean heat content extends fairly deep below the surface there. So as a, as a hurricane or a tropical cyclone turns that up, it, there isn't quite as much upwelling. So upwelling cools the water, but since that water already is deep and it's warm, the Gulf Loop Current can cause intensification. Uh, typically, uh, the, the tracks of storms tend to favor early in the season for the west coast of Florida, usually June, and then again late in the season. I don't want to exclude the middle of the season because it can happen really at any time. But um, normally what will end up happening is, um, on average, 
you'll still tend to see the mid-latitude westerlies or the jet stream dip far enough to the south early in the season in June, and then again late in the season uh, in October and November, and that tends to turn these storms uh, toward the north, toward the west coast. But again, I, I don't want to uh, give anyone the false sense of security. It could happen anytime uh, during the hurricane season, even the peak. So hurricane season officially starts June 1st, but we, we've had a change this year where uh, starting on May 15th, uh, the National Weather Service, National Hurricane Center have started issuing forecasts for the potential of, of, of hurricanes, of tropical systems. Why did they make that change? Yeah, so I'm glad I have an opportunity to clarify this. There's been a little bit of confusion in that area. So the, the official start of the season is still June 1st. But yes, like you mentioned, Bradley, um, the National Hurricane Center, they will issue routine updates on anything going on in the tropics. And they used to start that on June 1st, but this year uh, they changed that. They changed that to May 15th. And the reason why they made that change is because the last, I believe, six or seven seasons in a row, we've had a tropical storm or a subtropical storm in the month of May, which is outside of uh, the hurricane season, the official hurricane season. So what it really boils down to is that the forecasters will start issuing these outlooks uh, starting May, uh, May 15th from here on out. But the official start of the season is still going to be uh, June 1st. That's something that's still under consideration, whether they may actually change that. But uh, we've been seeing more activity early in the season. We've been detecting more storms in May, and that's why the, uh, the National Hurricane Center and the Weather Service are issuing these routine outlooks uh, sooner. What are the other changes that's come about? We had so many storms last year that we ran out of names and we had to start using the Greek alphabet. We talked about Tropical Storm Eta. That was one of them. But that was confusing for some folks. And the uh, the World Meteorological Organization, which is kind of an umbrella group for weather agencies all over the world, uh, has decided, let's not use the Greek alphabet anymore. Let's come up with alternate names if, if we get to a situation where we run out of that first list. Yeah, it's it's very confusing for a, a lot of people. And also, if there is a, a strong storm, a strong hurricane that makes landfall, that puts uh, the World Meteorological Organization, the WMO, in a position of retiring uh, a, a name in the Greek alphabet, which is what happened last year. So um, what has happened now is that uh, there will be an alternate list. So we'll go from A all the way through W, which is always how it has been in the Atlantic Basin. Once we get to the W storm, if we run out of names, then it's going to move to this alternate list of names uh, that is out there. If we ever uh, go past that again, and it's likely that we will at some point, hopefully not this year, but at some point in the future, uh, we likely will. And we'll use that, uh, that alternate list of names starting at A. And so that basically means, let's say that we get to that alternate list, uh, we use the A storm, maybe that's a, unfortunately a very destructive storm in the future that allows the WMO to retire that, that name and allows another replacement name that's not of the Greek alphabet to, uh, to take its place. Since there were so many storms last season, what, what are you and your fellow meteorologists trying to, looking back on that season, looking back on those storms, trying to figure out, trying to study about why 2020 in particular was such a, such a dramatically long and, and, uh, and, and uh, difficult season. 
Yeah, so there there are a lot of factors that are in play with regard to the number of uh, name storms that are out there, and we don't fully understand every single driver that's that's there, but there are a few that are uh, talked about often. The mo- one of the most obvious that isn't maybe talked about as much is that we're, we're able to detect uh, far more storms than we, we used to be able to, say, 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, we have a higher resolution satellite, the uh, GOES-16, that is in space now, geostationary orbit, very high resolution, both spatially and temporally. And so we're able to see those. We also have um, a satellite wind data as well. So that gives us a sense of finding out where the center of circulation is. These are things that were not around 10, 20, 30 years ago, just did not exist. So that's that's one factor. We're just able to detect more. Uh, there are other factors as well. Um, climate change is talked about uh, fairly frequently in terms of uh, the number of storms. We've seen an increase in the number of intense or uh, major hurricanes, category four and five, and there's a wide amount of thought out there that, uh, that climate change is, is a driver uh, uh, for that. We haven't seen a huge change in the number of hurricanes, categories one through five, if you take all hurricanes uh, globally in the last uh, 30 to 40 years. That's held about steady, but we are seeing an increase in the number of intense hurricanes, major hurricanes, and uh, there's quite a bit of literature out there that suggests that uh, a warming of the oceans, uh, climate change is, is the reason for that or is part of the reason that's driving that. And not just hurricanes, but other tropical cyclones in other parts of the world, uh, in India, Australia, yes. uh, Southeast Asia, et cetera. Yes. And also, Bradley, too, there is literature out there as well that suggests that the the speed, the forward speed of tropical cyclones, so hurricanes, tropical storms are slowing down and climate change may be a driver uh, for that as well. So if if the storms are moving slowly, that increases the threat for inland flash flooding and coastal flooding too. Um, And those are some of the, uh, those are some of the big modulators, uh, property damage and also fatalities in tropical cyclones. So it's something that we're very seriously looking at. All right, Ray, I think that's it for my questions. Anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, I mean, the one thing I would add is is, is this. Um, this season, the number of name storms, that's a, it's a big headline grabber. We're going to see NOAA issue their forecast, I believe, either this week or next week. And it's going to give us a range, a probabilistic range of what the most likely number of name storms and hurricanes and major hurricanes uh, will be. And it's likely to be an above average forecast. And, you know, I mean, gosh, all it takes is just one nasty storm to hit the coast. That's all it really takes. It could be an inactive season. We've seen this many, many times. Uh, we know these things get headlines as, as meteorologists. We, we know that and we know that drives awareness. But regardless of whether this is going to be uh, another very busy season or maybe things turn in our favor and it's perhaps maybe we don't have as many storms as we think we might get. Uh, it really is tremendously imperative that people prepare for the season just as they as they always have. I know the state of Florida has a has a tax holiday. Take advantage of those things. Um, don't snooze on it because that's that's what happens when you, when you get a big storm. You get a big storm. People aren't expecting it, and they're re antiquated or sorry reacquainted with nature. And um, just prepare, prepare, prepare now. All right. Ray, great talking to you. Thank you so much. You bet, Bradley. Ray Hawthorne is a meteorologist at the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network.
WUSF is part of the network, and you can get severe weather updates anytime by downloading the Florida Storms app. You're listening to Florida Matters. Our program continues in just a moment. This is Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. Today, we're talking about getting ready for hurricane season. Laura Wilcoxon is Interim Emergency Management Director for Pasco County. I spoke to her via Zoom. You know, we're getting ready to get in get into hurricane season here on June 1st. What, uh, what are you and your, 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 uh, your office doing to, uh, to prepare Pasco residents uh, uh, for that? Absolutely. We are busy as ever. Uh, Currently, we're making sure all of our plans are topped off, that all of our stakeholders have reviewed the plan. We're going through different trainings and exercises just to make sure we're set and ready to go and help our citizens any which way that we can. How has the last year in the pandemic changed the way you prepare for hurricanes? Not too much. Uh, More making sure that we're going to be able to follow the CDC guidelines and Florida Department of Health. Um, what they're asking us to do as far as social distancing. And if they require any PPE, you know, we make sure that we have enough on hand should we need to get it out to the public. So are there specific uh, CDC and state guidelines if, say, there, you know, there was going to be a, a storm impact in Pasco and you had to evacuate and had to open shelters? Are there, are there guidelines for, for shelters to operate with uh, COVID rules? We're going to try and social distance as much as we can within a shelter, but we've also shifted our uh, public education as well as within our disaster guide about really promoting that if you have friends, family, neighbors, others that you can evacuate with, shelter with, uh, that's going to be preferred. A shelter is really more like a life raft, and while we'll make every effort that we can to ensure that those CDC guidelines are followed, Uh, We partner regularly with the Florida Department of Health. They have part of our special needs shelter space that will follow their guidelines to the best of our ability. How uh, involved has your office been in terms of PASCO's uh, COVID response over the past year? Uh, We have a team is activated as part of the state response. So we get firsthand information coming into our office that we're able to push out to the region and respond as one of the first counties involved. So you were pretty, pretty, sounds like you were involved probably pretty early on when, when the pandemic struck. We have been activated since March of 2020. Wow, that's a long time. <laughs> and could it potentially be longer uh, given the fact that we're, we're in hurricane season. So how do you kind of balance those? I, I know you talked about the preparations and those are preparations you make for every season, but you, you know, you've got the pandemic going on. Hopefully though, we're kind of getting to the end of it. But at the same time, you got hurricane season coming, and that that presents its own challenges. Uh, we are blessed to have one of the top teams here in Florida. Um, we are we have 16 employees that work out of our department. We've really broken it down into roles or specializations for each component of our team to ensure we're a well-working machine. So while we were able to respond effectively to COVID, we're also prepared, tried, tested, exercised, ready to go for hurricane season. Can you just kind of walk me through in Pasco, like what are the, what are sort of the different level zones that you have in terms of, of residents who would have to evacuate if, if, 
if there was going to be a major storm uh, impacting the county? So first and foremost would be if you live in a low-lying area and you know water tends to rise in your areas, such as either from storm surge that you'll even just see during normal tidal uh, times can come up to the roadways, or if you live in another area that just rainfall falls, so like the areas that are prone to flooding, those individuals might need to look at evacuating. We also have our evacuation zone map. Nothing's changed since 2020, so if you already know your zone, it's the same zone as the previous year. That's all based off of storm surge. Uh, the different categories of evacuation zones are based off of what the meteorologist will tell us that this storm is potentially able to cause this kind of damage. So each storm is known as, you know, one's a really big wind maker, others are really big storm surge makers. They all have their different disasters uh, or hazards associated with them. So that will determine what levels of evacuation zones that we'll call based on that storm. Can you recall when the last time a, an evacuation was ordered in Pasco? Uh, I believe it was 2019. Okay. So in terms of the zone, that's sort of a standard thing. The other thing that I, I hear from the Florida Department of Emergency Management folks, they talk about know your home. What, they, what, what do they mean by that? If you're living in a mobile home or a home that's a little bit older, you should know whether you have like hurricane clips are on it or if it's prone to damage from high winds. So it's run from the water, hide from the wind. So when we talk about hurricane sheltering, it's to either get you out of a flooding situation or where the windborne hazard could be a potential issue for you. Are there any um, sort of misconceptions that people have when it comes to, you know, if there's gonna be a storm and they're, they're gonna need to evacuate or maybe shelter in their home or shelter with somebody else? What are some of the common, common misconceptions that you hear from, from residents when it comes to to evacuation and even storm preparation? Uh, one of the ones that we are discouraging is don't tape your windows. That doesn't help much. If you're looking at trying to protect your windows, look into getting like storm shutters that are rated for impact resistance. Uh, other thing is making sure that if you are installing a generator, that you have it properly installed. You don't want to run a generator in an enclosed environment that creates other hazards with the carbon monoxide and other gases that are given off from the system. What about uh, the issue, you know, people get um, plywood for their, for, their, uh, for their windows to board up. Um, you know, there've been some issues with the cost of lumber going up and also supplies because the housing market is just booming right now. Is that a concern in, in Pasco at all as you're, as, as, as you're getting ready for hurricane season? Um, I have not heard of any issue with being able to receive plywood if individuals were looking for that. Again, we're looking, I would recommend that people go with more storm rated protection. But then again, if that's the only protection that's available someone can get, that might be their best option. You mentioned mobile homes. Lots of people in Pasco live in mobile homes or RV parks. What, what kind of tips do you have for them in terms of, of, of getting ready? So mobile homes, they, they have different wind ratings. Know what your manufactured home is made out of. Know what they're rated up to. Uh, if you do have to evacuate, know where you will go. Are you going to go with friends and family uh, to another location where they might have a solid structure? Or are you going to have to go to an emergency shelter? Make sure that you're prepared, that you have a go kit and some essentials that you might need. So as we're approaching hurricane season and people are starting to prepare, what, what are some of the items that you recommend that they, they have on hand in case the storm hits? 
Yeah, you want to make sure that you have shelf-stable food that you can access, meaning that if you're using canned food, you have a can opener, and that if it needs to be heated, that you have a safe heating element to do so, whether it's a small propane grill for outside, whether it's a camping stove, that you are able to use that uh, mechanism safely. Uh, you also need to make sure that you have water on hand. We have a lot of residents that are on well systems, and if those wells become impacted or even you know, if there's another problem with the pipelines that go to your house, you need to make sure you have at least three to seven days worth of water. That's about one gallon per person per day. You also wanna make sure that you have flashlights that have batteries so that you can see if there's no light and you uh, important documents are gonna have. And then you need to look at anybody who has special circumstances. So like our elderly population, if you have special dietary needs, medications, that you take those into concern, and then small children, that you have um, any type of diapers, formula, things that could be hard to get if you're not able to evacuate your house right post-storm. I'd also put in a plug for a battery-powered radio, so you can listen to WUSF or any other local radio station for uh, for updates from the Pasco EMA and from the uh, the state EMA if, if, if there is a serious uh, serious situation. And you also want to make sure you take care of your pets too. Right. Does, does Paso have like a, a, some kind of alert system that people can sign up for um, based on where they live? If it tells yeah. them about evacuations, that kind of thing. We have the alert Pasco app that they could go on the Pasco County website and sign up for. We also have the my Pasco app and our communications department has joined up with our uh, the neighborhoods. With next, next door. door. Yep. I think that's it for my questions. Anything else you'd like to say? No, it's before hurricane season. This is the time to prepare for, you know, if you have to leave, you want to make sure you have what you need to leave. You need to have those important documents. You have to have the plan of what you're going to do and check out our disaster guide. So every year we release a annual disaster guide. It has all the hazards that residents of Pasco County could face. We go through what to do before a storm or before an event what to do during and what to do after. And on the back of the cover, it has important numbers that you can call if you need extra help. Great. Laura, thanks so much for talking with us today. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Laura Wilcoxon is Interim Emergency Management Director in Pasco County. State lawmakers are meeting in Tallahassee this week to finalize a new gaming compact with the Seminole Tribe of Florida. It's a 30-year deal that could have major implications for gambling and revenue and all kinds of other things. And we will have a wrap-up of what is in that deal coming up on next week's Florida Matters. WUSF will keep you informed throughout hurricane season, and we've expanded our weather coverage on WUSFnews.org. You can check out the weather page for cameras, interactive radar, current conditions, and seven-day forecasts for your area. And our hurricane page provides everything you need to know to prepare for the upcoming season. And the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network will provide up-to-the-minute weather and news reports during severe weather here on the radio, online, and on social media. You can also download the Florida Storms app for updates and information. That's Florida Matters for this week. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Bradley George. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week.